Thank you, Gibb and family, for reading today. Good morning. My name is Raul Perez, and I'm uh, the senior associate pastor. Come to you today a little sick. My family's sick. Uh, actually, much of the North staff is sick. <clears throat> and I suspect that if we are a microcosm of this community, that many of you are sick as well. So uh, as I was... Uh, Praying and just kind of prepping to walk up here, I felt like the Spirit say, pray for the people. Pray for the people for healing for your sickness and for the various ailments you may have this, this winter, but also for this month. It's a hard month for some, for many. Uh, a joyful time of year, we're told, but we carry lots of scars and wounds into this time. So let me pray over you and pray over myself, uh, and we'll hear what the Lord has to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your love, for your affection, for you sending your Son, and for your Son sending the Spirit. Father, now I pray that your Spirit would come upon me and be in these words. I pray that uh, sick bodies here would be healed. I pray that broken spirits would be mended. I pray for broken hearts to be healed. God, I pray for broken faiths to be brought back together, to be believing in you, to be receiving your promises in this, for some, very dark season. I pray you would help us to look up to your light and believe in our redemption, to believe in wholeness. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if I've ever said this, but I'm Mexican. Um, And uh, (laughs) growing up Mexican, uh, you're loud. Very loud. And it's, uh, I know that some cultures, uh, there's like the primness or properness or something. And it's uh, almost more good to be quiet. But I'm loud. So if uh, you got some stuff to talk back during the sermon, you know, a little, if you can muster an amen, that's cool. If you could, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm struggling, you could, Lord, help them, you know, right? Um, I'm, I'm cool with that. I just wanted to let you know that uh, it's, I like a little talk back. That'd be good. You do better than the first service. Amen. There we go. I want to start off with a story. Uh, I, have a, I have a pattern uh, in my life that um, I've gone through it many times in my adult life, that when I work really hard, and especially if I've done good work, whenever there's like a break in there, I, I crash. And more than crash, I, I, I get discouraged. Um, and that discouragement hangs on me. It just, it just hangs on me. And this has happened enough times where I note the pattern and I even almost know it's coming to the point where I've told Sarah, I don't want to live like this. I, I, I want to change. But I struggle to know how. I struggle to know what to do. Um, and so it was after one of these breaks. Actually, when Pastor Scott came back at the end of October, I took two weeks off. And then I came back and I still had, we're doing this uh, Holy Spirit training called Dunamis, you know. And I came back to that, fir- that first week back, um, 
And it was just hanging on me, this discouragement. And so I, before we had our meeting that night, I met with our prayer team. We call them intercessors, four holy women that are uh, from various different campuses here at Bethany, uh, who are this team that's helping me lead dunamis. I just confessed to them that, like, hey, I got this discouragement, and they, like, laser beamed on me and asked me a ton of questions, <laughs> asked me, like, just, just, like, really asking me a lot of questions, and um, finally got to this question. It was, is there a specific memory in your past that much of this pattern hangs on? Never thought about that question. But once it got asked, I immediately had the picture in my mind. And so I didn't, like it was immediately there. And so they're like, so what is it? Right? And, And I'm like, you want me to share it? You want me to share what that is? And in essence, they told me this. They told me that to experience deliverance now, it was time to go back and face the past. Face the past. What would compel a person to willingly face the pain and suffering of their past? What would compel you to go back in your minds and look openly at the memory that you wish would just stay buried? What would compel you to have that hard conversation that you've been avoiding? What would compel you to drive a long way this holiday to your family's house where there might be some hurt? What would compel you to do these things? And why would God at times ask us to enter back into painful things in our lives? Like today's story, why does God, through the angel, direct Joseph to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt for refuge from Herod? This, I can almost see Joseph with a waking eye saying, the same Egypt that enslaved us for 400 years, that Egypt, can we take refuge in a less genocidal country, please? And why would we even be considering this story today? This third Sunday of Advent where we light (laughs) the joy candle. Amidst all this, Scripture says Joseph just got up and did what God said. Why? Why would he do this? I'd like to suggest to you that faith in God's promises is greater than our suffering, and that's why Joseph obeyed. Faith in God's promises is greater than our suffering. As I prayed about this uh, today, preaching throughout the week when I was prepping, the, the line that the Lord kept bringing to me was, tell my children's story. Tell my children's story. So today I'm going to tell the story that was just read in a more extended way, giving it some context for us to really understand the depth of the obedience of Joseph and Mary. You know, Scripture doesn't give us any ages of Mary and Joseph, but what we do know is that it was customary for women to be married uh, the ages 12 to 14 and men to be married from the ages 13 to 16. 
So if they were following norm, then that's their ages, right? Pretty young. And for being pretty young, they faced a lot of trials right out the gate. Because Mary is pregnant when they're only engaged, out of wedlock. So they would have a child in a, in a way that would cause them to be perhaps social pariahs, right out the gate. Then on top of that, the local king wants to kill their baby, and then they have to escape and take a 40-mile journey to face their ancestors' oppressor, Egypt. In my mind, I kind of feel like they're going to look at each other and say, you know, one day they're going to come up with a designation for our age, and they're going to call it tweens. And they're going to know that these burdens are greater than we can carry at this age. (laughs) Scripture describes Joseph as a righteous man. So we know about his character. It also says that the Holy Spirit fell upon Mary. When spirit falls on people, it is for empowerment to accomplish the Lord's will. Spirit was upon Mary to birth the Son of God, but also it enabled her and Joseph to endure the overwhelming trials that they would face. In the Gospels, Mary and Joseph are contacted by angels. Being spoken to by angels must have seemed strange to them, you know, in part because being contacted by an angel, rare occurrence, but also because up to this point, there had been 400 years of silence. Jen mentioned last week that God seems to have been silent for 400 years between then and the the writing of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. The next record we have of God speaking to and giving revelation to people is at the beginning of our Gospels. Zechariah, Mary, Simeon, Anna, and Joseph. Joseph, who God spoke to through dreams. I wonder if he ever thought about his namesake. Like the Joseph of Genesis, who had many vivid dreams foretelling the future of his family in Egypt. That's the kind of Joseph our gospel writer has in mind. After waking from his first dream, Joseph's life changes. The angel tells Joseph, Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He is to marry her and name the child Jesus. Upon waking, Joseph gets married and names his adopted son Jesus, which means God saves or God rescues. And Joseph decides to believe the promises of God despite all the evil around him. Joseph now has a second dream. Verse 13 from our reading today, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Joseph, our dreamer, perhaps only 16 years old, facing immense odds and the prospect of facing his ancestor's previous oppressor, Egypt, still chooses to obey, 
pretty mature for a tween. His faith in God's promises are greater than the suffering he may face. Have you ever felt odds stacked against you, paralyzing trials, yet still felt this internal compulsion from God to go? Did you go? Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they went. They left for Egypt. From Bethlehem to Egypt was about a 40-mile journey. It's a pretty hard trip for a new mom on donkey back. My wife and I and the boys just drove down to Southern California, and we almost had meltdowns when the iPad died and the boys were bored, you know? Like, isn't that a lot of work? 40 miles. But it's a long time to think. To think about Egypt. Is it friend or foe, suppressor of old? Perhaps even Egypt can change. Because now at this point, Egypt is a Roman province which was peaceful for Jews. Many Jews lived there, and they even had a temple and a synagogue there for them to worship. But if you're Joseph, you've got a lot of time to think. You're wondering, can it be trusted? Can Egypt even be forgiven? Was he, Joseph, doing the right thing here? They are now refugees on the run with violence on their heels led by him, Joseph, the dreamer. Faith in God's promises is greater than our suffering. But they finally make it. They make it to Egypt. They find a place to live. And what they find is that Egypt isn't what it used to be. And they build a new relationship with Egypt. And while they waited there, all they had to go on was God's implicit promise to rely on. The angel said, stay there until I tell you. Stay there until I tell you. Just simply suggesting that they would be alive (laughs) to receive the follow-up message from God. They would be there three years until Joseph received another dream. Just waiting three years for another message. The angel said, King Herod, who was seeking Jesus' life, is now dead. You may leave Egypt and return. They had made it. They survived, and God was true to his promise. But now... A new leg of the journey begins. And so they go. More time to walk and to think. While they traveled, I'm sure Joseph, who was a righteous man, recalls this departure from Egypt being prophesied to in the book of Hosea. There are two references he would have recalled. The first in Hosea 11, is a reference to Israel being saved from Egypt in the Exodus days. But the more God called them, 
the more they disobeyed. Joseph thinks of Israel's time wandering in the desert at the very same time that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are walking through that desert. Though they had been miraculously saved from Egypt, Israel was wildly disobedient in the desert as they walked towards the promised land. Out of Egypt I called my son is the same phrasing we see here in Matthew 2. I suspect if Joseph had remembered this reference from Hosea, he would have been confused since the angel told him that his stepson Jesus was to save his people from their sins, not lead them in it. So there's got to be more. If he would have remembered the second reference from Hosea, Hosea 2, he would have been more encouraged. It talks about the house of Israel as a bride whom God will woo out of Egypt as in days past. When he does, they will call each other husband and wife. God will make a new covenant with her and betroth her to him forever in righteousness, in justice, in love, in compassion, and in faithfulness. When these references are considered together, it would seem that Jesus needed to go to Egypt to bind his life to the life of his ancestors who failed in the desert after the exodus from Egypt. But this time, this time when God calls his son, his bride, out of Egypt, he will establish a new exodus narrative. One that is based on the faithfulness of Jesus rather than the failures of Israel. He will redeem the full history of his people Israel and in fact the whole world. And all this is produced because of the obedience of Joseph and Mary to go when God says, get up. What is God calling you to go and face? When Joseph and Mary returned to the land of Israel, they would have learned two things. First, that just after their original departure from Bethlehem, King Herod had sent a goon squad to murder all of the children under two. It was was a small town. The deaths were probably around 20 or more, children under two. These would be children that Joseph and Mary may have known. Parents who were friends in the community. The church today remembers this as the massacre of the innocents on December 29th. The second thing they would have learned is that one of Herod's sons, Archelaus was ruling over Bethlehem, and he was as violent a man as his father. So when Joseph and Mary learn about this, they decide to go 40 more miles to the north, literally doubling their travel, going through Samaritan land. And if you remember, Samaritans are 
unclean people to the Israelites, so they are risking that to get to the other side to land Nazareth. Nazareth is ruled by Antipas, who was another one of Herod's sons, but history says he was less violently inclined, so the lesser of two evils, and that's where they land. And by traveling this way, they fulfill another prophecy of the Christ, that he would be called a Nazarene. It's an incredible story, yes? And it may not seem like it, but this story is saturated with some of the everyday human trials we face, even today. A husband reluctant to initially do what's right. The facing of insurmountable challenges and needing to decide what to do. The call to face our pain and suffering because because it's time. A king so obsessed with his authority, his power, himself, that he would stoop to killing foreign children to ensure his position. The necessity of faith in order to go forward because we can't know the end from the beginning. This is what the Lord Jesus decided to enter into when he was born. A very messy and gritty moment in human history. But that is the demonstration of who our God is. Present with us in all circumstances, especially the gritty. Because Jesus has entered in in this way, he invites us also to do the same. So I want to ask you, what is your Egypt? What is God directing you back into and through? Will you respond? Will you be obedient to God? There are three takeaways I'd like to highlight from this story, and they all surround obedience. The first is more of a kind of a definition Obedience is faith in action. Obedience is faith in action. Obedience is simply deciding to keep showing up in the ways that you know is right and where God is calling you to go. The first Sunday of Advent, the first purple candle is the faith candle, and we lit that at my home uh, the first Sunday of Advent. And so naturally my oldest son said, what's faith? What's faith? Help, you know, he wants to know. He wants a simple answer, right? A, a discernible answer. So this is what I told him. Faith is believing in things you may not always be able to prove, but you will still choose to live anyway. Faith is those things that you may not always be able to prove, but you choose to live anyways. When we choose to put our faith into action, we are being obedient to God. It can be big things, like God calling you to leave your people, like he did with Abraham, or he does here with Mary and Joseph. Those are big things, hearing, feeling the voice of God, and making a huge shift in your life. But there are also 
day-to-day small ways in which the in which the Lord is calling us to obedience. I think we're all pretty familiar with that feeling in ourselves where we feel like God is directing us to go talk to that person. And it may just be, go say hi. Go introduce yourself. Or it may be that the Lord is giving you a, a, a word of wisdom and knowledge to share with that person something about themselves. When we say yes to those those feelings, the Spirit of God directing us, that's us being obedient. And there's even ways to be obedient simply to Scripture. Something that comes to mind is the story that Jesus talked about where there were uh, a man who came to worship to bring a gift to, to offer at worship, but he remembered that there was somebody that he had needed to be reconciled with. And so what does Jesus say? What is the greater thing, to stay and offer the gift or to go and be reconciled? It's to go and be reconciled. That's the greater thing. Being obedient even to these things that we know that Scripture tells us that helps us to grow in our faith. For the... I think I just want to make this point that when obedience is something that needs to be practiced, it probably doesn't come naturally. And when we are obedient and we continue to heed the voice of God, to act on the voice of God, we will hear the voice of God more and more. And as we grow in obedience, then we grow our readiness to receive God and to act in God's ways And when we do that, we are going to produce fruitfulness for all, which is important in this second point. The second point here is this. Obedience redeems suffering. I'll put a qualifier on that. At the right time, obedience redeems suffering. At the right time, when God calls and directs, obedience will redeem our own suffering and the suffering of others. And we see that In today's story, we see that Joseph takes his family to Egypt only after he received the dream from God and was directed to go. And it was time. This obedience to go, when he was directed, redeems the potential suffering of his son and their family. That was the personal redemption. But it gets a lot bigger than that. Their obedience... When we, when we see this in the Hosea texts, right? Their obedience to go to Egypt and then be called out of Egypt, that fulfilled a prophecy that allowed for the redemption of the Israelite people and ourselves. You see that when it's time, when the time is right, and the Lord calls us back into the suffering to face it, there will be redemption that comes from that for yourself and for others. I know for myself, I've tried to will the redemption of my suffering. Has anybody done this? Where you fight people for what you believe is right. Where you fight yourself to be okay with some kind of situation that's painful. Where you fight your circumstances, and at least for me, I end up running away from those circumstances because I just can't wield them. And I just end up, in the end, with more an increased 
perspective of myself of needing to be self-reliant, an increased sense of suffering and anxiety from just trying to wrestle these things down, being in control of them. Perhaps if I'd heard Pastor Ruth's words earlier in life, I wouldn't have had such heartache. She said, a few months ago, some things in life are insolvent. They cannot be solved. They simply pass. That seems to square with James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Allow your trials to develop character and perseverance in you. Allow your faith to mature, and at the right time, God will call you back to face your suffering. And I believe that you can obediently go because you know that Jesus is with you, one who himself suffered on the cross for you, but also one whose suffering brought great redemption to many, whom I know many can testify here to being beneficiaries of. Have faith in God's promises, for they are greater than your suffering. And your obedience will redeem suffering for you and for others. Our last point here out of this story is kind of a big one. Obedience leads to fulfillment. Obedience leads to fulfillment. Finney. We see twice in this passage. When the angel told Joseph to get up, he immediately did so, and it led to the fulfillment of prophecy, or what was promised about Jesus. Joseph's obedience leads to fulfillment. These are big words, probably perhaps Words that we don't think fit in our lives. Fulfillment, prophecy or promise. What would it look like to bring these words out of the clouds and into your daily lives? I would say it this way. When you serve others, that's the big crux of this. When you serve others with the fruit of the Spirit And with spiritual gifts, you are fulfilling the promise of God. When you serve others, that's that's the action part. When you serve others, but what? Not in your flesh. With fruit of the Spirit and spiritual gifts, you are fulfilling the promise or the prophecy that God spoke about you. The church. How is that? How is God speaking a word over us that he subsequently fulfills when we serve out of the fruit of the Spirit and spiritual gifts? Some scripture. John 16, 7. This is Jesus speaking. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. 
This is at the Last Supper. He's telling his disciples this. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we see that it is a part of Christ's plan, along with his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, to subsequently send the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So his work is not just his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, but it is completed when he sends the Holy Spirit to you. He says this, or Peter says this, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, 38-39. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Many of us know this. Many of us have accepted this, have accepted the Spirit of God, confessed that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and have the forgiveness of our sins. But Peter goes further, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Has he called you? Has the Lord called you? Because he not only wants to give you his spirit in you for the forgiveness of sins, for the growing of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He wants to give you his spirit upon you for power. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 12. Now, to each of you, man, we just got four words in. Now, to each of you, Because some folks feel like this part of Scripture doesn't apply to them. That this was for the disciples only. Now to each of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Uh. Amen. Now, (laughs) do you hear what I'm saying? Now to each of you, the manifestation, not not just the inward Spirit that we get to enjoy. No. God is promising the Spirit of God upon you to manifest in the world, to manifest through your ministry, to manifest through your family, to manifest through your work, to manifest through spiritual gifts. Not that you would work in your flesh, but you would work out of the power of the Spirit of God. Now to each one, everybody here who believes in Jesus Christ have been imparted a spiritual gift. May not be of your choosing, Probably isn't of your choosing because the Spirit of God discerns that. But each one, we are the body. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. This is our scripture for now, not for then, for here and now. To all these are the work of the one and the same spirit. Uh, And he distributes them to each one as he determines. Right? This is for now. Why are we working so hard, beating ourselves up to try and be the church? We simply need to submit ourselves to the Spirit of God to work through us. 
Right? And he goes further. Paul goes further. Galatians 5, 13 and 22. I added the 13 because you'll see. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You're called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, your ego, your desire for self-importance. No, rather, what does Paul say? Serve one another humbly in love. Through what? Through this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not qualities we can screw up in ourselves. We can develop and make better. No, we need to be dependent on the Spirit of God to grow them in us. And what was that second quality there? Joy. In the darkest of nights, in the, in the struggles that I know that we face and that at times Advent can bring out of us, one of the greatest witnesses that we can have is being filled with the joy of the Lord even in our suffering. For God promised to give you his spirit both for spiritual gifts and for the fruit of the Spirit to live in you. This is how they will know that we are Christian. When we live joyfully in and out of season, in great want and having much, we live consistently with the fruit of the Spirit in us. And didn't Scott say and remind us two weeks ago, the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is how we defeat the wiles of the evil one that come against us. By allowing, I mean, Christmas is a good analogy. We open gifts on Christmas, right? Let, oh, I heard a yes. a girl, she knows. I wonder if some of you haven't even explored the gift of the Spirit of God that is just waiting for you to open. Yes, you are saved. But are you empowered? Do you allow God to work through you in ways which perhaps you might feel a little out of control? The Spirit of God desires to do a work in you, desires to even open you. Will you trust that? Will you trust the Spirit of God in your life? Because faith in God's promises is greater than your suffering. I'm going to call the band back up. I'm going to close by completing the story I started with. That day with the intercessors, when I was confessing, struggling to this pattern of discouragement, they asked me to, if there's a picture that all this hangs on, and there was. With a little bit of trepidation in myself, I felt ready to face that part of my past. I was ready to face my Egypt and share it with them. The scene is of my dad sitting uh, in the den. We had a, kind of like a TV room. And he was sitting there with his arms crossed and his legs crossed. Classic dad posture for do not talk to me. Um, and I was a little kid, so I wanted to talk to my dad, so I did. And uh, he gets mad at me. He gets angry with me. And I get sad. I want to run away. 
But then I feel like uh, the Lord kind of takes charge of this memory. And so what ends up happening is that now my dad is a little boy on the couch, and his dad, my grandpa, is sitting next to him doing the same thing to him. And then I look to my left, and I see my boys, and I'm about to do the same thing to them. And now we're all on the same couch, all four generations, and at the head of it on the right is Jesus. And he's been with us, with us, the whole time. The spirit of heaviness I and my father and perhaps my grandfather have carried around is is about feeling not good enough, feeling not lovable. This feeling crops up around work because Work defined who we are, who we were. And that was for better or for worse. And when it came to worse, it came out on my family. It came out on us, on the ones we loved the most. The intercessors helped me acknowledge the lie that I'd believed, helped me repent, and even helped me take back ground that I'd given to the enemy. What God is calling me to now is obedience. Obedience to believe the truth about who I am in him, loved and new. Obedience so that I may break this family lineage and redeem the suffering that has come from it. Obedience that I may be the fulfillment of God's promise by serving you, by serving my wife, by serving my my kids, especially them, so that this, there may be a new narrative, a new narrative in my children towards being dependent on, on the Lord and recognizing that they are new and loved in him. So as the, the worship band leads us, I'd like to just ask you to consider these questions. What is your Egypt? Where is God calling you to be obedient? Let's sing.